Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. So our friend Bill is going to teach from the scriptures. We actually have a teaching team here. We rotate. If you've been with us, you know that. If you're new, it might be new to you. Uh, well, we, we've been trucking through Matthew's gospel. And for me, it's been like learning about Jesus in a fresh way. Um, things that I knew in here, but uh, as we've been trucking through, um, starting to, to get to know things here. Uh, from here to here. So, also really quick before Bill teaches, just want you let you just want to let you know that uh, Sanctuary, our Thursday night service, is back. We're here every Thursday in this room, uh, Thursday night at 7:30. So the 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 purpose of that meeting is really to create space through music, through art, through prayer, through conversation through um, journaling and many other things. And so if you're around Thursday nights, we're here. So I would invite you to come to that. And also, we have community groups. And if you want to know more information about that, you can go to our website, basileacommunity.com, or you can talk to Kayla. Where's Kayla? Kayla, are you here? Kayla is our administrator. She's upstairs. Okay, you can just talk to me, and I'll give you information. <laughs> um, so let's pray for Bill. Bill is going to preach, and it's going to be good. So Lord, thank you for Bill. We pray that you would speak through him, and that we would have the ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks, bud. Morning, friends. <clears throat> uh, okay. We are going to use the Bible as is our custom. And we'll have the, the verses on the screen, but some people like to have something in front of them. So if you brought a Bible, you can go ahead and take that out now. If you have a device that you use for that, you can take out the device. Feel free to do that. If you, okay, you guys have Bibles in another room. You don't necessarily have to go get them, but you can if you want. <clears throat> and if you don't, this might have saved a few people from leaving the room, but if you'd like to have a Bible and you don't, there's a, a little pile here, and if you raise your hand, someone will hand you one, and you can do it that way as well. Okay. Anyone else? I'll hand you this one right now if you don't want to leave the room. Oh, all right, whatever. <laughs> okay, well, let's, um, before we read our passage, I'll just remind us in case anyone uh, is not, has not been around before or not lately, uh, we're working our way through Matthew's gospel. We are at the point in Matthew's gospel where Jesus has made it into Jerusalem, the holy city, the center of Jewish religious life. He's been talking about going there for some time. He's finally made it. He's been welcomed in, and he's behaving in prophet-like ways. We believe Jesus is more than a prophet, but certainly he's no less than a prophet, and he does prophety stuff. 
uh, when he's in Jerusalem and other times. And in the passage that Troy talked to us about last week, um, the religious authorities, the chief priests who oversee what happens in the temple, and the scribes who are the teachers of the Torah, of the scriptures, the experts of the scriptures, they've come and confronted Jesus and challenged him on his authority. And the passage that we're going to go over today is the same chunk of narrative. It's just another section of it. And so this is the same confrontation, but now Jesus turns and challenges the authorities. So here we go. Um, I should have told you where to go by now. So if you grab the Bible that was handed out, it's page uh, 989. Otherwise, go to Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. Matthew 21, 28. Okay. And this is Jesus speaking. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first, obviously. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. So, Jesus tells a parable about two sons. One son was disobedient initially, but essentially repents, changes his mind, becomes obedient. The other was all talk. He said he would obey, but he didn't obey. He didn't walk the walk. He did talk the talk, if you like. And Jesus asks the obvious question, which one actually did the will of his father? And, well, the one who did the will of his father was the one who did the will of his father. The repentant son did the will of his father. Uh, and by extension, we would have to conclude the son who was all talk did not do the will of his father. That's not controversial. That's obvious. And this is a case of what we sometimes call prophetic entrapment. Uh, Jesus, as I said, is behaving in prophet-like ways, and sometimes prophets talk to people in power using stories that are metaphorically uh, condemning of the person they're talking to, but the person they're talking to doesn't realize it, and the person they're talking to identifies the guilt of someone in the story, and then they realize, oh, that was actually about you. The classic example, of course, is the prophet Nathan coming to King David after he's committed this serious sin, and he tells him this parable about two men and a sheep and all this, and then he says, so what should be done with this guy? And David says, oh, you need to show no mercy to this guy, chop him up into pieces and kill him, and oh, he's so guilty and terrible. And then Nathan says, ha, you're the guy I was talking about. And so David has no choice but to admit his own guilt and wrongdoing. This is prophetic entrapment. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He's coming to the religious authorities, and he says, here's this obvious story where one son was disobedient to his father and one son was obedient. And they say, well, yeah, obviously the obedient son is the one who's in the right, and the other one not. And so then he springs it on them. Well, the people you look down on as sinners, they're the good son, and you're the disobedient son. And it's not obvious that they repented from this, but that's the kind of thing Jesus is doing here. So it's prophetic entrapment. It's also a classic reversal of insiders and outsiders in the kingdom. And we see this in Matthew again and again, uh, because the kingdom of God 
what it's like when God has his way on earth as it is in heaven, the way this works is counterintuitive. And oftentimes, the person you might think is going to be farthest from God turns out to be closest to God. The person who you might think would be closest to God turns out to be farthest from God. It's a reversal of insider and outsider. And so the chief priests and the scribes and people like that, the religious authorities would be the insiders, the people you would expect to be in line with God's purposes. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are people whose society looks down on for their sinful lifestyles. They're the outsider who, it turns out, is more in the right than the authorities. And we've talked in other places about insiders and outsiders where the outsider is uh, a Samaritan who's being treated with prejudice or a Gentile who's being treated with prejudice or a blind person or a leper or something like that where they haven't really done anything wrong. They're just being looked down on for wrong reasons. Uh, Tax collectors and prostitutes, by contrast, actually are guilty of sin. They are living lifestyles that are contrary to God's purposes. There's a sense in which the society looking down on them is legitimate. And um, I don't want to be too hard on prostitutes. I know that when people enter into prostitution, there's usually really tough stuff going on, so I don't want to be too mean. Uh, Yeah. Um, But the tax collectors especially are looked down on as kind of like the typical example of a very bad sinner. And the reason they're looked down, and in Matthew over and over again, when Jesus wants to identify some sinner, oftentimes it's a tax collector. Um, The reason tax collectors are looked down on is a couple of related things. Uh, Number one, in this day and age, uh, the Roman Empire has occupied the land of Israel and pretty much the whole known world. They impose taxes on people who are hurting and barely scraping by as it is. They uh, force, try to force people to live in certain ways that maybe they don't see as um, consistent with their heritage and stuff like that. And so the presence of Rome uh, is resented, and the tax collectors are Jews who are participating in their own oppression. They're in bed with Rome. They're collecting taxes from their people for Rome, uh, and their people are hurting, and they um, are participating in that. So that you know, is a good way to not make friends. Furthermore, uh, we find in the Gospels that tax collectors are known for overcharging people for selfish gain. Not only are they participating in oppression for selfish gain, but they're taking extra off the top. They're skimming money. They're embezzling. Uh, they're known for doing this. You may recall Zacchaeus uh, in, the, in Luke's Gospel is a tax collector who Jesus shows mercy to, and he repents and says, I'm going to give back twice as much to anyone I've wronged because he had wronged people. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Um, so tax collectors are legitimately people, kind of bad people, if you like. They've done bad things. They've lived a sinful lifestyle, and so they are looked down upon. And, of course, tax collectors are especially important in Matthew because the namesake of the gospel, Matthew, is himself a tax collector, who we read about in chapter 9. He, Jesus comes and says, follow me, and he leaves his table behind, and he follows Jesus. And this raises the question, Jesus, why, does he, why do you associate with people like this, tax collectors and sinners? And it turns out that in the kingdom of God... It's not that what they're doing is not a big deal, but there's grace for sinners who repent in the kingdom of God. People who society does not want to give a second chance to find redemption in Jesus Christ. Amen. Someone say amen. Amen. Yes. So, okay. 
this is what the kingdom is like because Jesus came to save sinners, because he came to lay his life down uh, for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. And thank God he came to save sinners or I would be in real trouble and I'm not the only one. <clears throat> not only this, but we believe that we are saved not just so that we are not guilty of sin, but so that we get to participate in God's accomplishing of God's purposes on the earth. And that, to me, is really profound. We get to actually join with God in doing stuff. Glorious, wonderful stuff. Okay. One of my favorite... So, okay. Kingdom of God, place where uh, sinners find redemption and where God works among people who society frowns upon. I have a story that fits this very well. Uh, it is related to a guy I knew when I lived in Seattle through church. Uh, I was not able to get in touch with the guy. I would have liked to make sure he was okay with me sharing this, but you'll never know who he is, so hopefully it's okay. <laughs> so I knew a guy. He committed a violent crime. Uh, he tried to hide from the authorities so he wouldn't go to jail, and so he was a fugitive. He lived on the streets for a while to lay low, try and stay away from the authorities. And while he was living on the street, uh, he met Jesus. He, he became a Christian. He committed his life to Jesus because he went into the wrong church on the wrong day, I guess, and encountered God. And so uh, because he had now committed his life to Jesus, he decided, well, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to turn myself in to the police. And he did. And he did some prison time because it was a pretty serious crime. And while he was in prison, he became aware of some things that um, other prisoners were doing that were sketchy. And because he wanted to be honest and do the right thing and be a good Christian, uh, he told the guards about it. And that's not a good way to make friends when you're in prison, I've told. And, you know, snitches get stitches, as they say. And so uh, he was in danger. That's how it works, man. He was in danger of violence because he had informed on other prisoners. And so he asked to be put into a special wing of the prison where people who are likely to get beat up and stabbed and stuff can go if they want to be safe, where you're put in a cell by yourself and you're only with other prisoners who are in danger of violence. And so he did that so that he wouldn't get stabbed or something. And uh, most of the other people in this wing of the prison, frankly, are rapists and child molesters because those are the other groups that prisoners are extra mean towards. And so he's mostly um, in this wing of the prison with a bunch of convicted child molesters. And these men, uh, for the most part, he tells me, are people who love Jesus. They, they hate the horrible things they've done. They are repentant, and they're deeply committed to Christ. And he's a brand new Christian. And so these are the guys who discipled him initially in his faith. This is where he learned to pray. This is where he learned to uh, live faithfully. He learned about the scriptures. He spent time. Uh, maturing in his faith through these men, and he did find a uh, really profound work of God in his heart through a bunch of child molesters. That's the kingdom of God. Um, the people that society looks down on the most, the people that, in a sense, you would expect God would be furthest from, turn out to be where we find God at work. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So, the leaders the religious authorities in Jerusalem, saw outcasts, people who were guilty of sinful lifestyles, walking in the way of righteousness, turning to God, turning from sin, living in the kind of way God wants them to live, responding to the gospel. They saw this, and Jesus says, you didn't repent even then. You didn't believe even then. You saw God doing what God does, saving sinners, and you could not see this as the work of God. You saw this as sinful people associating with this sketchy group or something. 
So I think the less, there's sort of two lessons in our passage. The lesson of the repentant son reminds us that this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what, um, how God works. God works through people who are guilty of sin, who are broken, who have issues and extends grace and mercy and redemption. I think we mostly get that at this community. If you don't get that, today's a good day to repent and recognize uh, what God's grace is like in a bigger way. So if you find it offensive that I told a story about God working beautifully through child molesters, then you should repent. Uh, And we can pray and you can ask God for a bigger vision of God's grace. If you yourself recognize that you need to be saved from sin, that you want Jesus to be your Lord, that you want to turn and find redemption in him, I'd love to talk with you about that before you leave today. We can pray through that today. It's a good day to turn to Jesus if you never have. Or if you have something on your heart you want to confess, we can do that too. Uh, But there's, there's another lesson in this passage, and it's the lesson of the son who was all talk. And to me, that's the lesson we may need to learn from more. Because I think... Um, while there are people doing wonderful things for Jesus in this community, I think that overall uh, we could walk the walk a little bit more thoroughly than we do, I think. I think we mostly have the right values, more or less, um, but we may, not do, we may not live in a way that reflects our values as thoroughly as we could. <clears throat> this is a common problem. It's not particular to this group. The fact is we live in a world where a lot of things distract us from God. We have a lot of things competing for our attention, especially in Los Angeles. We receive a lot of messages that tell us we need more than we actually need, that we don't have enough, that we need to make sure we're okay before we think about others. We receive a lot of messages that tell us that it is weird or inappropriate to behave in ways that aren't typical, and so we may not serve someone or notice someone or make a sacrifice for someone else because it's not normal. Uh, We may want to reflect certain values, but not actually be practiced at living out those values. Uh, I read a book in preparation for this message from a guy called Eugene Cho, and he asks the question, are we more in love with the idea of changing the world than with actually changing the world. Amen, amen. So, God may have some things to say to us about that today. I don't mean to guilt trip everyone into going off and doing something right now just because I made you feel bad. But I do have a few things I'll say and then we'll go to prayer and we'll see what God is saying and Uh, If, you know, don't feel like you need to manufacture something, but if you feel like God is highlighting something to you, um, you may want to work that out in prayer today. So I do think one of the ways we might look at how to be more deeply walking with the Lord would be uh, having a regular rhythm of uh, prayer, spending time in the scriptures and stuff like that. That's kind of obvious, but easier said than done. It's a struggle for me. I'm not as good at uh, consistent prayer and scripture as I I know I ought to be. Uh, A lot of things can get us off track. It's easy to get off track from that. And if we are not in a regular rhythm of devotion like that, it shouldn't surprise us if our faith is a bit superficial. So I think that's one obvious one that we may, some of us may be being called to 
recommit ourselves to that kind of consistency. Uh, and I also think we can get into habits of serving people in Christ-like ways in our day-to-day -day life. That doesn't mean there's not a place for bigger things, but we can at least start with the little things. Looking for those little opportunities to serve others, looking for those little opportunities to notice others, to do things that are loving and caring and stuff like that. For example, uh, and this is just one of many possible examples, uh, often if I see someone unloading a moving truck, uh, I'll just, if I don't have to be somewhere right now, I'll stop and say, do you want a hand? And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, and they always appreciate that I asked. And even if uh, this doesn't bring some powerful transformation in this person's life, and even if it seems weird or whatever, it's a chance to practice yeah. being like Jesus. Amen, brother. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. And, and you know, if you look at it as, if you, whatever the thing is, that or something else, if you look at it as um, a chore, then uh, it's going to be burdensome. It's going to make you less excited to follow Jesus. If you look at it as um, I've done my good deed for the day and I've been a good Christian now that I've did that one thing and I can go and chill because I was a good Christian today, that isn't necessarily so good either. But if we look at it as a gift, an opportunity to practice being like Jesus, um, then that can be a real blessing because uh, there's nothing better on the earth going than being like Jesus. So, that is some of the ways that going deeper with God might look. It might look for you in other ways. We'll let God um, talk to us in the ways He wants to do that. If uh, one or two or so uh, worship team folks would back me up, facilitate right now, that'd be great. And what I want us to do is, um, do you need the music stand back? Yeah. Thank you. What I want to do is bring, uh, come to prayer and bring two questions before the Lord. Um, the way this works, if you're not familiar, is we believe that God speaks. We believe that if we turn our attention to God, uh, He may have things to say to us, and that may take all kinds of different forms, but often it's just certain things coming to mind or our attention being drawn to certain things uh, that we kind of didn't chase down ourselves. So I want us to go to prayer and ask these two questions before the Lord for the next couple of minutes. The first question is, where does the life I live not match what I say I care about? And then secondly, what keeps me from going deeper with God? Bring these questions before the Lord, ask Him about them, see what comes to mind. In a couple minutes, I'll give you some uh, direction on what you can do with it if you are feeling like God's highlighting something to you, okay? So let's take a few minutes and just prayerfully ask these questions.